welcome to the second episode of the Awake Asia podcast. This podcast is about crossing cultures and borders to share stories about everyday people doing extraordinary things. Each episode, we share knowledge, inspiration, and stories of triumph to help you live a fitter, healthier, more purpose-driven, conscious lifestyle. My name is Luke, and along with my wife, Emily, we are the creators of AwakeMethod.com. Today, we have Stephanie Dixon. Stephanie is a marketer, event organizer, and an avid connector of conscious individuals and brands. She's also a two-times TEDx speaker and the founder of Green is the New Black, Asia's leading guide to conscious living. In this episode, I chat with Stephanie about what prompted her to change her career direction to advocating conscious living, fashion, and sustainability. If you're wanting to dip your foot into eco or ethical living and fashion, get to know some new conscious brands, or if you're thinking about speaking on TEDx one day, this episode is for you. I hope you get some inspiration from this session. When I walked into Stephanie's apartment, I was gobsmacked with the view of the bay she had. I took a picture of it and it's in the show notes. You'll know what I mean when you see it. For now, let's get straight into the conversation. Enjoy! amazing view i just walked into this apartment i i mean the listeners out there oh my goodness i gotta take a picture of this view it's sensational <laughs> and i fully appreciate the skyline but sitting down here and doing this podcast my goodness stephanie aren't you lucky yes very very lucky i do love my view <laughs> yeah and you just moved in here you, you mentioned Yes, we just moved here a couple of months ago, so I'm still in awe every time, and I hope I remain uh, maintain that awe every time I see look out my window. <laughs> yeah, especially during National Day. I mean, in terms of where our relationship, I remember the very first time that I think it was about 10 p.m. and I, I think I messaged you on Facebook. I was like, "Hey, what's this conscious event happening? I wanna, I, 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 I just moved to Singapore." I want to be a part of it. How many years ago was that? So that was our very first Conscious Festival in 2015. So that was over four and a half years ago. Oh my goodness, four and a half. And what has this journey been like? I mean, it's been four and a half years and now you're in Hong Kong and the festivals have just been growing, haven't they? Yeah, it's been really amazing. So I guess that first event, uh, you know, we kind of came up with this crazy idea and we put that first festival together in six weeks just to test if there was even interest in what we were talking about. Not a lot of people knew what conscious living was at that point. So it was just a real, it was a test and a bit of a gamble and we were event people. So we were like, yeah, let's just throw this together. Uh, so we had like 600 people show up for the first one, about 40 brands. We said, okay, yeah, people are actually into this and I think we can do this every year. So that sort of then started the growth to do the festival year on year uh, and then be able to act actually do Green is New Black full-time, which we started being able to do about two years ago now. Uh, and then, yeah, last year we took the festival to Hong Kong. And now we're going to be celebrating our fifth year anniversary in Singapore later this year. Wow. And where will that be? Um, can't say Ooh, yet. It's not secret. been announced. So you'll have 
have to stay tuned at our website and newsletter for that. Um, but since we started, we've had over 15,000 people attend our events. Wow, that's crazy. And it's you said we earlier. So for the very, very first event that you organized, was it yourself? Do you have a, a big D team around you? So in the beginning, there was just uh, myself full time. Um, and I had someone working with me as well that was supporting. And then, then we slowly grew our team. But to be honest, we were only two full time for a really long time. And now we've just expanded our team, started being able to expand it. So we're four full time and three part time and we're hiring and expanding. So it's a really exciting time for us, like really exciting growth. Surely, because I receive your emails every month or every week. We send them every Thursday. Yep. Okay, every Thursday then. <laughs> so every Thursday, and I've, I've always learned a lot from from your from your content and just the articles that you've written. So good job to, to where you are right now and where you were before. I mean, how did this whole journey begin in the first place? Yeah, so I actually used to work in fashion. So I used to plan fashion festivals around Asia. And that was really my dream job at the time. You know, I'd always grown up as that young girl who was so enamored by the fashion industry. And, you know, I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I hadn't, didn't have the patience to sew. So that was out the window. And I discovered my love of events pretty young as well. And so when I finished university, um, I actually came back to Singapore. And my family doctor at the time, very glamorous, Dr. Georgia Lee, uh, she was like, yeah, what do you want to do now stuff you finish? And I said, oh yeah, I love, I love fashion and I love events. And, um, yeah, I'd love to do something like that. And she's like, oh yeah, I know the founder of men's fashion week. So she got me an interview and I got a job with them wow. and I was, did that for four years. But then I started getting a little bit, uh, I guess, distant from the job. And I started reading articles and, and watching documentaries, which is always a slippery rabbit hole of once course. you start. Of course, save me. <laughs> yeah, and I watched The True Cost. And, and basically, it kind of shone this massive spotlight on the fashion industry to show that it was really uh, environmentally polluting, but also very socially corrupt. And I felt completely blindsided. And here I was working in the industry and I had no idea this stuff was going on. So I quit very naively. I was 26 and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, and then I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And at the time, yeah, I was like, okay, I want to do something. I want to use my skill set to do something for, um, for the environment and sustainability. Um, and so I started looking around for events to try and learn more about um, the industry and, and about sustainability. But at the time I was really faced with a lot of the stereotypes. They were either too businessy, too preachy, or, or just too hippie and none of that made like made me feel good um so then that's when I started the wedge actually first uh as like a conscious community for people to get together to talk about you know trending topics taboo topics but a safe place to actually ask questions that you needed to ask and to feel connected to other people and that's where it all started I love it, love it. So in terms of what you said earlier, in terms of the fashion industry, the dark side of fashion industry, for those people that haven't watched The True Cost, I mean, I would definitely put that in the show notes because I've watched it and that's really opened my eyes as well. Absolutely. What actually goes on? Yeah, it's it's such a great question. And I mean, I was working in the industry and I didn't even know. So yeah, for sure. I think a lot of people don't know. But basically, fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world. Uh, and what that really means is we're talking about water pollution. So obviously dyes running off from factories, going into water streams. We're talking about emissions, obviously. We're looking at even just the growing of the crops. So cotton is one of the thirstiest crops uh, on the planet. So it takes up an obscene amount of water. And then if you look deeper into the production of cotton, you're looking at so many chemicals being used, pesticides, all these kind of things, which are then ruining the land. Um, and yeah, it's, it's got a huge environmental footprint. So that's one big aspect. 
aspect of it. The other aspect is that it's very socially corrupt. So you're looking at, you know, people living on less than a, a living wage, less than a dollar a day. In some instances, you know, it's almost like slave labor. And a lot of people just, you know, they maybe they know about it, but maybe they're just not connecting that. So I think we're really disconnected with how many people have touched our clothes, where our clothes have come from, and really who made our clothes, which is a big thing that Fashion Revolution talks about. You know, hashtag who made my clothes, which is a great thing, a great place to start for anyone curious about this. And so this hashtag who made my clothes, is this a movement or is this? Exactly. So Fashion Revolution started um, after the Rana factory collapse, which happened a couple of years ago. And basically over 1,100 people died in this factory collapse. And that's also partly what the True Cost film is about. Uh, and basically what happened is there was reports that the building was going to be collapsing or that there were cracks in the building and it got ignored. And in the end, the building collapsed and over 1,100 poor souls died. And so there was um, a lady in, in the UK who then founded Fashion Revolution that had an epiphany moment where she said, this cannot go on. We need to revolutionize the industry. And so she started this movement with asking brands and it, her whole movement was hashtag who made my clothes. Now it's a global movement with chapters all around the world. It happens every year in April. And it's really, you know, to commemorate the people that were lost, but also to bring this back into the spotlight and say, we cannot forget what happened and we need change and we need a revolution. Definitely. I'm going to be looking into that. So back to the Rana Plaza disaster, because I read about that and it was just so tragic. And from what I read as well, it was quite known brands that are associated with um, this particular disaster. I mean, I think it was some of the main ones, to be honest. I don't remember off the top of my head and I, you know, definitely I think H&M was involved, mm -hmm. but I, I really can't remember exactly. Yeah. But it's it's the information's there. It's of very course. easy for people to of find. Course. So in terms of you mentioned H&M. My understanding is these days, I noticed that H&M is now advocating conscious fashion. What's your take on big brands and fast fashion um, moving into this direction? Oh, such a loaded question. It is, isn't it? <laughs> but I will give you my answer. So for me, I guess there's two parts. Firstly, mm -hmm. It is still fast fashion at the end of the day. And no matter what, we do need to be very aware of our consumption and the choices that we're making. So no matter where we're at, um, we do have to understand the impact that our choices make and where we're spending our dollars. That said, uh, I think that for a global company like H&M to take such uh, innovative steps um, with their conscious collection, but further to that, to actually be investing very heavily to into recycling and circular solutions is something that we do need to give them props for mm -hmm. on some levels. I think, you know, even though a lot of, there's a lot of commentary online about H&M at the moment because sure. of their conscious collection, because pe some people see it as greenwashing, some people see it as, you know, just the, a marketing ploy and all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, they are deep deeply committed to looking at circular solutions. And they have very audacious goals, which you can find on their website, about having fully circular systems for their uh, for the fashion they're creating. What that means is they want to be collecting back uh, as much as they are producing in terms of fabric, ton tons of fabric and materials, and they want to be recycling that. So right now, technology, we're not at a stage with technology where we can recycle blended fabrics. And some of these materials, it's not recyclable, but they are working with some of the leaders in the world to create these circular solutions. And they're doing a lot of that behind the scenes. And now I think it's around 50% um, 
of the fabrics that they're using are more sustainable mm-hmm. um, than previously. And they just launched for Earth uh, Week and also for Fashion Revolution Week a transparency um like element to their website. So if you look at their website, you look at the items, they now tell you which factories the items were made at. And they, so they are taking real big steps. And so part of me feels like we do have to commend them for this. We do have to be like, you know what? More brands need to do this. And they are setting a good example in some aspects. Of course, there are other parts of their business which still needs some work, but everyone's in a work in progress. You know, sustainability is a journey for everybody. And so I think, yeah, that's kind of my overview of it. And yeah. There's good and bad. I love it. I think it's from my point of view as a vegan as well, like looking at McDonald's offering vegan options, much as a lot of people say, well, we don't want to support big organizations like that, but they have they have scale and they can impact a lot. So I think it's about voting with the dollar and showing that we actually want these changes. So in terms of conscious consumption, I know you, you're you from Australia, Melbourne, Melbourne actually, aren't you? Uh, so I did university in Melbourne, but I'm from Sydney. Oh, Sydney. Okay, yeah. Sydney cider. <laughs> so, so comparing Sydney or Australia in general to the level of consumption to Hong Kong and Singapore. What's your take on that? As in how much people are buying or or their level of consciousness? Consciousness and mass consumerism. Again, it's another great but very loaded question. I think, to be honest... I still see a lot of consumption in Australia. Australians love fashion. They love, you know, sales and and all those kind of things. I don't think they're immune to consumption just because... Especially the annual financial year sales, it just goes ballistic. Yeah, and it doesn't mean we're about to enter the, you know, great Singapore sale period. Hong Kong has massive sales, Christmas sales. I don't think, like, they're much better when it comes to fashion anyway. Mm. Um, In terms of other consumption habits, I mean, in Australia, I guess we're fortunate that we have a lot more access to organic fruit and vegetables. You know, we have a lot of natural resources, which keeps the prices a little bit lower. Somewhere like Singapore, we're obviously importing the majority of our food. So I think it's on a case-by-case basis, you kind of have to look at it. But it's such a tricky question because I don't live in Australia. So Mm. I only see Mm. a little sample of it when Mm. I go back. Um, so I can't really do a deep comparison because I'm not living there and I don't see it on a day-to-day basis. So in terms of living, how did you come over to Singapore? You mentioned you did high school. Was that was that um, your parents came over or what, what was your story moving from Sydney to Singapore? Yeah, so I moved around a lot actually as a child uh, because of my dad's job. So mm. he was in money markets uh, and so we moved a lot and I think I've lived in something like over 22 different wow. residential addresses wow. and I'm 30. Wow. So I've moved a lot in my life and... Yeah, so I was in Singapore. I'm a third culture kid, basically, which is why I don't sound very Australian. (laughs) Um, And my parents are Scottish. So, you know, we grew up, I grew up a lot in Asia. So I went to high school in Singapore and we moved here originally for my dad's job back in 2002, I think. Um, And so, yeah, we were here for four years and then I went away to university. uh, And then I came back because I got that dream job at the time. And yeah, I've been here ever since. Awesome, awesome. You mentioned earlier with the wedge and green is the new black. I want to go back to that. So what's what's the difference between the two? So I started the wedge first. That was my first company. And it was the series of events that I was talking about. So these sort of monthly events um, around the taboo topics uh, that we really wanted to address. So I started with that. And in the beginning, you know, I was a struggling entrepreneur trying to figure out my way, trying to figure out what I really wanted to do and figure out how I could be, as I said, you know, part of the solution for sustainability. Um, And so I started the wedge and I used my skill set to do consulting. So I was doing like social media marketing 
consulting and event management for people to just like help to pay the bills. Uh, and so I was kind of doing side hustle in a sense. So I, the wedge was that it was, you know, these event management and, and consulting services that we were doing. Then obviously we launched the festival, which was Green is New Black. And that's when I was like, okay, this is what gets me so freaking excited to get out of bed. This is what I want to do. I want to be bringing people together. I want to be connecting brands with consumers and consumers with this understanding that actually everyone can be sustainable. You just need to break it down into little green steps. So that was when I ignited the fire and was like, hey, this is what I want to do. So after that, then it was like figuring out how we could make it so that we could do that full time. And so slowly we transitioned the wedge out. And now the wedge series of events is officially under Green is New Black. In terms of your entrepreneurship journey, because being an entrepreneur myself, I've experienced a lot of challenges. What were your biggest challenges and how did you kind of overcome them? For me, there's a couple, but I guess the first one that's been the most challenging is actually myself. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot. I think not enough people put the spotlight on how challenging it is mentally and to isolating be at times, an, isn't exactly it? Exactly. Isolating and challenging mentally. Like I think for me, you know, I'm like an A-type personality, perfectionist, uh, very um, you know, anal event organizer kind of person. So I really struggle to let go of a lot of the perfectionism. Uh and I've, you know, put very, very high expectations on myself and of us as a company. And so that's caused a lot of stress um, and anxiety anxiety and those kind of things. So I guess for me, the biggest challenge has been dealing with them while wanting to still make a difference and, and run this conscious living platform. So that has been an ongoing journey. I invest a lot of time um, into my personal development so that I am stronger mentally so that I can, you know, continue to grow and to build our vision with my team. Uh, and I'm really lucky that my co-founder is super supportive and she's really incredible. And it's funny, we balance each other out really well because the things that she gets stressed about, I don't get stressed stressed about and vice versa so we're able to like really be very strong and and support each other through the tough times because they are tough you know and mm -hmm. especially when you you know you're putting your heart and soul into something and it's for such a good cause of you know saving the world um on some aspects you really it can knock you about sometimes um so that's definitely been one of the biggest challenges and it's ongoing and i you know could have a whole nother podcast just talking about all well, of that i mean definitely <laughs> want to get into it because i think in terms of entrepreneurship and particularly conscious entrepreneurship because it's it's a very very different mindset and you're looking at it's a mission-driven vocation i would say so you know were you ever at any points where you're just like oh my goodness i mean I, or your heart you put your heart and your soul you wear your heart and your sleep were there any moments where you're just like oh my goodness I, i'm just close to just giving up uh but in the beginning yeah there was a lot of times i was like why on earth am i putting myself through this hell like this is so painful um but what but kept you going well, there think? was a few things like mm -hmm. I laugh about the fact that I would always come to the thing. It was like, OK, but could I really work for someone else again? Could I really go back to having a boss? <laughs> and that for me was a big thing. And I was like, no, I don't think I could work for someone else again. So that was one of on the on the very dark days. Be like, but would you really want to do anything else? And then I find the passion again. And, you know, so and now I, I don't even question it anymore. I'm like, this is my life. I've signed up for this. I love my life. I'm so fortunate I get to do what you know what I'm passionate about and continue to grow of course there are dark days still I'm not gonna lie like there's still very very painful times especially after festivals like 
I, I'm really depleted and exhausted after putting so much into our massive, I mean, we have thousands of people coming, dealing with like, you know, 80 brands, all these different community partners and stuff. Like it's a lot for a small team. Um, but I still love it. And so no matter how dark the days are, I would never, at this stage, I'm, I'm not ready to, to move on or give up. Yeah. What highlights, what milestones do you feel you've hit throughout this whole process of growing green as a new black? There's just, for us, I mean, for me, the, the festivals are always the biggest highlights because it's months and months of work and so many hours and so many people that support us on those journeys. And then when it all comes together, and we have people come up to us and tell us, you know, that they've been completely moved or, you know, in Singapore last year, we had a girl share with us that she was quitting her job. So she went into work or she took Monday off. Tuesday, she went into work. She quit her job and she decided to move back to the UK to help her family business to convert a uh, transition to be more sustainable. When we hear those stories, we get like goosebumps and we're just so moved and we're like, okay, our, even if it was just for that one story, that makes all the blood, sweat and tears worth it. And so those are the, the moments when you're like, wow, we're, we're helping people to discover and we're helping to wake people up, but also to empower them to actually take action. And that's the most important thing. So that for me is always a highlight. And in, in the Hong Kong event, we just had um, our youngest speaker yet. She was wow. nine years old. Wow. I and what know. was she speaking about? So she is a youth activist and she's freaking amazing. Um, her name's Lucia. And she basically um, started a company with her mom. But before she did that, she was doing beach cleanups and getting her friends involved because she loves going to the beach. And she discovered that it, it takes 400 years for a, a toothbrush to, wow. um, you know, to get rid of basically yep. um 400 years so she thought that was insane and so she got her friends involved she was selling like humble toothbrushes which is like a reusable uh, sorry a, a bamboo toothbrush um and then she basically one thing led to another and she started a company with her mom called eco parties and basically uh yeah they're doing reusable crockery and and party wear for kids parties now wow but it's and, just so inspiring oh, it truly like, is. oh my I mean, god nine, a nine-year-old i mean when i was nine years old i was playing with my he-man and yeah. i wasn't <laughs> well maybe 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 yeah i think it was he-man back then so um yeah and and she's doing a speaking and yeah and she was so confident honestly she was <laughs> a definite highlight for me in hong kong well that's incredibly inspiring speaking of inspiring i mean i saw i saw i read a while back you're two times ted X speaker. Yes. That's that's a nice thing to put under your belt like twice. <laughs> Goodness. Tell us about that experience. Yeah. So the first one, um, both of them have been in Singapore. Mm. Um, the first one was uh with a university here. They were doing their own TEDx. Um, so that was really amazing. I spoke about um conscious living and I developed this conscious living ladder um to kind of help people identify where they were at and what step they could take next on that journey. And then I did um one last year with Procter and Gamble. So TEDx, Procter & Gamble. Uh, and that was really amazing. I talked about how we can make sustainability sexy. But uh, terrifying, absolutely terrifying. I think, I mean, I've done a lot of different speaking and I, I love speaking. It's one of the, the fun and better parts of my job. Yeah. Um, but that was, yeah, really terrifying. I've never been so scared <laughs> as I was doing those TEDx talks. Do you normally have a ritual going up to speak? No, I mean, I, I, I don't actually. It's more just a breathing and just mm. 
calming. And for the second time, the first time I was an absolute wreck. Uh, I was just like, I don't even really remember it. I was just like so stressed. But the second time I was like, you know what? I want to enjoy this. And yeah. so before I was like, you know your script, like just get out there and just like enjoy it. So now I, I like change whatever the mental um, patterns and, and things that, you know, maybe like, oh, I'm not going to be good enough. Oh, this is going to be terrible. I'm going to forget all my lines. No, none of that. I only do positive self-talk. So I'm yeah. like, this is going to be yeah. amazing. Like no matter what happens, like just enjoy it because you're only going to do this. Like this is kind of like a once in a lifetime. In it, well, twice for me. Twice. <laughs> that time for before. Well, no. Maybe. We'll I don't see. know. But like in that moment, I wanted to be fully present and enjoy the experience because it is nerve wracking, but it's so exciting as well. So that is what I focused on. Wow. Has public speaking always been in your DNA or have you ever been in a point where, oh no, I don't want to step in front of the microphone? So it's really funny, actually. I never wanted to be in front of the mic when I first started my company. I mean, I used to, I always loved running events and I was a sports captain at school. So I didn't mind being in front of people when I was younger, but I stopped doing that. And then, yeah, so I, I didn't want to be in front of the mic, but one event I, I held before I started The Wedge, um, we asked this girl to moderate mm. and to host. And she, it was, it's just like, she just bombed on stage basically. And after that, because of my control freak perfectionism, I was like, well, there's no way I can trust anyone like to, to moderate and to host. Like, it can't be that hard. I'm gonna just have to learn how wow. to do it myself. But the very first Wedge event I did, I was so nervous. Like my hand was like shaking with the microphone. And and I remember standing up there and my arm was shaking and two girls in the front row laughed at me because I was so nervous. My hand was like uncontrollably shaking. And that was your very, shaking. very first time. Yes. And I was just like, oh my God. And now they're laughing at me. And I was like, oh, I can't do this. But I didn't have a backup plan. So I just had to push through. Wow. But it literally took me 10 minutes to start. Like I hood stood behind the corner, like being like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this. But that was like four years ago and we've had 33 wedge events already. And like, I've done all these different speaking things. And now I'd like, I love it. And I still get a little bit nervous every time that it's good. And I channel that into excitement. But yeah, the first time I was shit scared. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I've, I've watched you and listened to you speak and you just seem like such a natural, but it's, it's hard to tell the emotions under for people out there. I mean, for, for green warriors out there who are possibly where you were before, what tips can you share to just kind of get out there to spread that message? To be like that nine-year-old girl, maybe. Yeah, um, there's a, a few good things I've been told over the years. Uh, and I did some training with a lovely lady called Nicole um, Stinton, and she really helped me. She kind of was one of my speakers and she, I asked her, for, I think she said stuff, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you a free session or we did like a partner session and she gave me some really amazing tips during that session. But one of the first things that I always, that, that stuck with me was it's not about you. Mm. Um, so I think it was Paul Dunn was the one that shared that. And it, so the idea is like when you're up on stage or, or you're about to go on stage, you normally have this like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Like I'm going to screw up my lines. It's not even about you. Like you are there to deliver value to whatever audience you're speaking to. So it's not about you anymore. It's about them. You need to show up better because you're providing value to people that are sitting listening to you. So how can you help them? And that helped a lot to be mm. like, okay, it's not about me. So when I can focus on the audience and I don't, I don't focus on how nervous I am. So that was one really big thing. Another one was, 
um, learning how to breathe properly when on stage mm. um, and learning and just slowing down my words. So because normally what happens when people are nervous is they speak really fast. Yeah. They speak really fast. They get sweaty. And, and because they're speaking fast, it triggers that emotion in their body. And then, you know, it's, it triggers that whole process. So instead of that, if you slow your breathing down and if you slow your words down, then actually your brain has a chance to catch up. So if you're breathing and you're speaking slower, intentional pauses, exactly. Well. And you pause and there's nothing wrong with the pause and it just calms your body down. It calms your mind down. And then you can actually think on stage because a lot of people feel a little bit like a deer in a headlight when they get on stage and they can forget, but breathe and slow down. Then your brain catches up and, and you get into the natural rhythm. So those are a few tips that really helped me, um, especially in the beginning. Yeah, I think I was chatting with you a while back because I love how you moderate panels and how you interview. And I asked you um, about um, your inspirations. You mentioned Marie Folio was one of them. Yeah. So maybe share with share with the the listeners why Marie Folio is your inspiration, and maybe maybe others other people that inspire you to kind of do what what you do. Yeah, Marie Folio is an absolute legend. And if you haven't seen her content, go to YouTube and watch one of her videos. Like <laughs> when I was first starting to be an entrepreneur, is when I discovered her. Uh, when I was kind of figuring out what I was going to do and navigating through that process, and she her content's just amazing. She's a great interviewer, but there was just two things that she said that really, really stuck with me. And one of them was clarity comes from engagement, not thought. And that for me, was game changing because I live in my head so much. I've got this constant dialogue happening in my head. Um, I realized I'm not going to get clarity by overthinking this. Mm. I'm going to get clarity by taking action and actually doing something about it. So whenever I'm struggling or I'm too in my head, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do something. Even if it's really small, I'm going to take an action to get out of my head and into movement again. So that was one massive thing. And the second thing that she shares is everything is figure outable. And that... <laughs> Uh, even when I'm stressed, I forget it sometimes, but when I can remember it, I'm like, you know what? It's so true. Like everything works out the way it's supposed to. When you look back on some of the worst things that ever happened to you, there was always a silver lining and it always led to something else. And so no matter what happens, there's always a solution and you can figure anything out. And so that I always cling to that as well, because it just gives you that hope and it gives you strength almost in those situations when you're freaking out or everything's going really badly. Lovely, lovely. Definitely. I mean, it just comes so naturally to you. And I think probably because you speak from the heart and now you're saying it as well. It's about delivering value. It's about making a difference, especially with what you're doing with the whole conscious movement. So back to going back to the whole conscious revolution, I would say. Um, I know big brands are now like Gucci is going fur free. Are you starting to see a lot of these big brands starting to move towards fur free, more ethical and eco, even like high, high fashion brands? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's no longer just a trend anymore. Mm. Sustainability is becoming a reality and it also makes good business sense. So I think now we're seeing huge companies around the world making bold statements and, you know, Dove's not going to be testing on animals anymore. Mm. And, you know, exactly as you just shared, like big brands are coming out saying they're going to go for free or, um, you know, there's like now Eddie had just announced that they're doing single-use plastic-free flights, you know? So, wow. yeah, that got announced on Earth Week this year. So brands are making these bold statements now and they're getting, you know, a lot of PR and marketing, sure. Mm. But at the end of the day, this is come happening because consumers are asking and questioning and sending those emails in because they see that it makes business sense because they see that <clears throat> it's not going away the planet has finite resources there is no planet b and at the end of the day everyone's playing a part so the sooner that businesses change their business as usual mentality and start 
absolutely living and breathing sustainability and, and a conscious way to go in business, those are going to be the ones that survive. And those that are sitting being like this, you know, whatever they're believing um, internally or that aren't moving fast enough, I honestly don't think in a few years they're going to be, they're going to have businesses anymore. Yeah. At least I hope that's the way it's going. And I, yeah. and I feel that is, you know, consumers are aware. We're more aware than we've ever been before. We're more empowered with knowledge than we've ever been sure. before. And people know what, you know, they know they're waking up to the fact that their actions, their dollars, their time matters. Um, so yes, we're seeing more companies do it, but it's also not happening fast enough. Of course, of course. I think like you said, it, it, it just all takes little green steps, but we all just kind of want it to happen overnight, but it just takes takes forever. So in terms of brands, what are your top brands? And maybe share some love for, for, the, for the boys out there. <laughs> Uh, there are so many amazing brands that are really doing great stuff, um, especially in Asia. So we actually, if you go to greenisneeblack.com, we have a directory of amazing Definitely. Asian brands that you check can check out. out. Um, but aside from that, I mean, so as a girl, mm. um, Matter, you'll always see me wearing Matter. Um, Matter is a homegrown Singapore brand. How do you spell that? M-A-T-T-E-R. M-A-T-T-E-R. Yeah, okay. Matter. Cool. Uh, so they're a homegrown Singapore brand. They've been working with artisans. They do slow fashion. Uh, their clothes are just stunning. They're so comfortable. So define slow fashion. Yeah, so it means that they don't have seasons. Okay, wow. Yeah, they don't have seasons. They don't abide by any of the typical fashion rules and regulations. Um, they have very specific times that they're very honest about where they have sales. And even then their sales are really, you know, they're not like mass sales or anything like that. And they massively remind all their um, all their followers, like don't buy something you don't need. Mm -hmm. You know, they're really very conscious in the way that they communicate. And I, I have a lot of respect for what they've done. And what I also love about them is the fact that they have been very transparent about where they're at. Right. So in the beginning, they focused on ethical and slow fashion. So making the materials, doing the prints, working with artisans around Asia uh, and not the materials and not the dyes and everything. Mm. So now they're moving into that. So now they have, for example, a um, silk that's made out of banana leaves, wow. I think it is. Um, and they're using organic cottons now and those wow. kind of things. But they did it slowly because that's how they had to grow and i have a lot of respect for that because they're saying we're not perfect but this is where we're working and this is what we're working towards um there's some other amazing fashion brands as well like beliza has beliza. like yeah beautiful they're um based in singapore as mm. well um so it's like bali to ibiza is like oh, their name wow. which i think I is really it, cool yeah and they're uh basically have beautiful resort wear again mm. also made with artisans most of these brands have like incredible stories behind them um then there's like great things that you can do like in singapore um there's the fashion pulpit fashion and pulpit. it's a clothes swapping store oh wow yeah okay. it's super cool it's, so you can are they are they like um at a location where we can all yeah leon court oh leon court yeah Super, super central. Uh, so you can go and you can either buy the items. So they're pre-loved, obviously, or you can swap. Okay. Uh, and it's just, it's it's freaking awesome. I love it. And yeah. Ray, the, the founder of that, is just like a little superstar. Um, so there's a fashion pole, but there's, you know, if you want luxury, you can buy from like Style Tribute, okay. pre-loved luxury items, or you can rent so many good um, clothes now from like Rentadella um, or like Covateller as well. And there's just so many amazing options, actually, if you, and you can still be fashionable. That's the yeah. most exciting thing. Yeah. It's like, 
you can still be fashionable you can still change your wardrobe up but you can do it through swapping through renting or through buying pre-loved or supporting sustainable fashion um there's just so many great options for guys um (laughs) it's a little bit harder Mm. um and to be honest i (laughs) mainly work with um female brands right so it's a little bit harder but in singapore there's etrican so they have like um basics for men okay so they have really good basics um there's a really cool underwear brand in Singapore. I actually got a, a t-shirt from Zaiiko as well, I think. Yeah, Zaiiko. That's Zai another Eco, great the, one. The, the lo- local brand, aren't they? Are they? Uh, yeah, they started here. Yeah, right. by Danielle. And uh, the Green Collective. Green Collective. Um, so they're like a collective group here that uh, has a lot of... They have a store. Um, they have a lot of green brands that they bring together. Uh, and they probably have some menswear that they have as well. Um, but then, I mean, there's so many brands overseas, um, mm-hmm. you know, that really have a lot of great menswear things that you can yeah. ship into Singapore um, as well. So, I mean, one of my favorite international brands, but again, it's female, is Reformation. Reformation. Because I just love their designs, their fashion. They're so modern in the way they do it. Their branding is so sassy. It's just, it's fantastic. I love how you <laughs> describe it. So in terms of, um, let's say, Shoes, sorry. Shoes, yes, shoes, shoes. big one. Um, sneakers, Veja. Veja, Veja has amazing sneakers for men and women. Veja. And I got my first pair for Christmas from my fiance because I really wanted them. So I was like, get these for my Christmas. Um, and they are so comfortable. They're really transparent on their website about where everything comes. And they just launched vegan leather shoes. Oh my goodness. And they sold out like over, like so, so quickly. Um, but they're really working on very, very creative solutions to have more sustainable sneakers. And they're really cool. And they're a French brand, but they also, um, you know, they, they retail around the world. So. What, so in terms of price points, what are the price points like? So... The reason I love Veja is because they are priced at very similar to other sneaker brands that you would find. But the difference is they don't spend money on marketing. So they don't pay for ads. They don't spend on mark like they don't do you know do any of those kind of paid market. They don't give you know products to celebrities or anything like that. And so that's how they keep their margins at the same price because they are fully ethically produced. Um, They're literally reinvesting in innovations as well around like the materials they're using and all that kind of stuff. But they kept it that way because they were like, yeah, we're not going to pay for marketing. So they're at the same price point, but they're fully, well, as sustainable as they can be. And they're working on being even more sustainable. Wow. Okay. For the listeners that aren't in Singapore and aren't in the region, are there any resources online that you can just kind of Google? Like maybe they, that it could be a search engine for top ethical, eco-ethical brands? Is there anything, any resource like that that you know of? Yeah, so for those, not, I mean, if you're in Asia, you can check out greenisneedblack.com, obviously. But if you're not um, in the US, there's one called The Good Trade. The Good Trade. Um, then in there's also one called Done Good that's in Australia. Um, I think it's in Australia. There's also a massive one, or maybe The Done Good is in the US, actually. Um, I think that's the one that has, like, they have a chrome... Plugin, a Chrome oh, plugin. Okay. Oh, Chrome plugin. They have wow. a Chrome plugin wow. where we're on certain sites, and then it tells you it comes up with a more sustainable solution, wow. a more sustainable option. Sorry for whatever you're looking for, and then it links to those sites instead. So that is very cool. So, so we've got a Chrome extension for sustainable fashion. That's where. Yeah, and that- products. It's not just. I think it's largely fashion, but some of it they have like bedding and stuff like that too. Okay, going back to you mentioned dyes earlier. So. If we look at fast fashion, what is the impact of those dyes on our on our, our skin? 
there are um residue of chemicals and dyes on clothing and most people do not wash their clothes when they buy them like i actually pre-wash clothes before i wear them uh because of you know i don't want to have any possible residue going onto my skin but our skin's our biggest organ and a lot of people don't think about how much we absorb through our skin but it's also the same with beauty products right i mean yes your clothes and the the chemicals that are in your clothes are obviously going to affect your skin but a lot of people don't think about the beauty products and the amount of chemicals that are in our skin or the products we're using in our homes in terms of cleaning products and you think like especially if you have kids at home you're using like very chemical heavy products and you're breathing all those fumes in and your kids are breathing them in it's really not good not good for you not good for the air not good for the planet so i think we need to just be a lot more aware of what's in our products across the board um, and understanding the impact that has on us and also on the planet in terms of beauty care products what uh, are there any specific brands that you go for is this something that you look out for uh... for me i've been slowly going more and more towards a naked beauty regime um so looking at how to reduce packaging how to get more natural products uh and really like work on cruelty free products and all these kind of things so it's it's been quite a journey uh, but there's so many products out there now that are performing as good um so the quality is there but they're re- the impact is massively reduced so for example looking at things like even in just your shower right like looking at how to have um shampoo bars and shampoo conditioners um uh, sorry and conditioner bars um this is really awesome and i love it's so easy to travel with and they're so easy to use and the quality is great there's a local brand here in singapore called skincare co um skincare and they co. have like solid shampoos and conditioners and they they're just fantastic like i love them um and you know you can use soap bars instead so going a little bit you know back to basics with some of the products and then understanding the the what's in these products as well and like because you got to think about the fact that when you're washing your hair or putting um products on your body it's of course affecting your body but then it's going into the water streams right and it's going you know into the the systems so that has a huge impact as well um and then it's what we're putting on our skins and and what we're putting like you know especially as women it's something crazy like before a woman leaves the house she's maybe used 20 different products on her face right yeah and like all these different chemicals that are in that and they have a long-term effect so we need to just be a little more wary of of the products and find the ones that work for us obviously but also um understand the impact again understanding the impact is key because i was watching a vice documentary uh, was it a vice or i I think it was unreported well on um, the Chitaram River in Indonesia. My goodness. Um, I'm going to put that link of that documentary in the show notes. And basically, this river is the world's most polluted river. And a lot of the runoff from these factories, the dyes, toxic chemicals run into this river. Mm-hmm. And it and the villagers actually use this river for bathing and, and drinking as well. You hear about stories like this. This is not an isolated case. And, and that's the really, you know, the truth of the matter is that these water systems, people are living off them and, and that's their livelihood. And yet it's being polluted by a few select, you know, in, in the name of progress and growth and, you know, money. Profits. Yeah, profits. So based on what you know, you're, you're sharing a little bit about uh, sustainable fabric and materials. What new materials are there that are 
recyclable. I, I understand that companies that are making it from pineapple mm-hmm. as well. Pinatex. Is that why it's called Pinatex? Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. I mean, now there's fabrics that are being made out of orange peels. There's fabrics being made out of pineapple leaves and, and I guess, extracts. Um, I just read about shoes that are being made from, like, a tree trunk. Uh, not tree trunks, but, like, tree fibers um, that were, you know, left over from um, the pulp and, and, and paper industries. Wow. There's a lot of very, very exciting materials that are coming out now um, that are, you know, definitely looking at more sustainable um solutions and it's really exciting i think you know taking waste from one industry and being able to convert that into a product uh you know that's what we're talking about when we're looking at circular products and solutions it's just incredible and if that can then be further recycled or further upcycled into something else we're really extending the longevity of our products and that that is really the kind of mindset we need to be having. You know, when, when people are designing products moving forward, they need to be thinking about the end of life of that product, mm-hmm. what it could be converted to. I think Adidas just came out with a massive announcement that they've created the first recyclable shoe um, wow. that they've been able to do. It's gonna, it's still a few years away before we get it, um, we're able to get it, but it's made, you know, it's not made with any glue. Um, they've literally designed it so that it can be taken apart and parts of it can be reused um, after they're done. And that's the kind of innovative thing that we need to be having moving forward. I love it. So I guess looking at kind of a conscious businesses, because if we look at fashion, um, you, you mentioned slow fashion, no seasons, because traditional, traditionally the fashion industry kind of profits on, oh, there's a spring, there's a fall, and you know there's this whole cycle and this winter collection. So if we look at slow fashion, how is that model going to be changed? Because obviously it's about profit margins at the end of the day, however way you look at it. So how is that going to work out? Yeah, it's such a massive question. I think it's something that a lot of people are grappling with at the moment. But the current systems don't work. A lot of our systems are broken. Uh, And that's not just for fashion. That's across the board and many different things. Mm. So I think as we move forward, we need to be looking at the fact that we do have finite resources. So Mm. everything doesn't need to become circular. We need to have better solutions. So yes, the, the idea of this world of consumerism that we're in it's not sustainable. It's not going to continue moving forward. So yes, right now it's still profit and da, 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 but like the companies that are innovating and are investing in innovation right now are going to still be able to be profitable because we still need to have some resources. So if they're creating new products out of waste, then, you know, they're, they're still going to be able to make money from that. So it's more about just getting more clever and smarter about the way that business is done and where they're investing their time and money where you are right now, if you could define your mission, what would that be? Making sustainability mainstream, accessible, and sexy. I love it. One sentence, elevator pitch. I love it. Where you are right now, what would you like to see more of in the world? For me, I would just love to figure out what the different triggers are for different people to get them to wake up faster. If there was one thing I would want to do, it would be to wake a lot more people a lot faster to the fact that they're all playing a part and there's a lot of people that we have conversations with or that we're seeing that you know think that their actions don't matter they think that they're just one person someone else someone else's mess someone else to clean up you're kidding yourself if you think your actions don't matter everyone everything that we're doing has a ripple effect the decisions we're making now are going to be affecting the next decade the next 20 years 30 years i mean we don't know what the future is going to hold but we know that the decisions we're making now are affecting that future and that's across the world so 
I don't know. I think I would just wake people up faster, figure out what is going to be the deciding thing, you know, whether it's their health, whether it's, you know, their children, um, what is, what is the trigger that's going to get them to start acting differently? I love it. So I guess we want to go into practical steps now. So for listeners out there who I know you're big on the little green steps. So if someone's listening to this podcast right now, wants to make this kind of shift, how would they start and what would they do? So one of the biggest things I think is just saying no to single use plastic or single use items. We, there's just no excuses anymore. We don't need these products. <laughs> um, there's especially living in places like Singapore where we have clean tap water out of, you know, like clean drinking water, sorry, out of the tap. Uh, so, you know, have your reusables with you. Just start doing like, and if you think that's too challenging, just start taking note of how much plastic you're using on a day. Just one day. Just look at all the different single-use item plastic that you're using. But saying no to that, having a reusable water bottle with you, taking your bag, these kind of things matter. Um, further to that, of course, we talked a lot about fashion. So mm. really looking at where you're spending your dollars, how you can be more sustainable, look at clothes swapping instead, looking at secondhand or looking at supporting sustainable brands. That's another big thing. I think if you really want to, if you care about climate change and you really care about sustainability, you have to look at your diet course which you one. know much more than I do about but you know the impact of agriculture meat and dairy on the planet if you just want to do one thing give up beef or reduce your meat consumption uh, and just try to go green whether you go green on Mondays with David Young or you just pick a day or you you know if you're having meat twice a day then start having meat once a day instead you know everyone can make a shift and that is going to have a massive impact as well. So looking at diet and, and figuring out where you can start hedging it a bit mm. um, is a massive one. Um, again, it's a journey. So, you know, people can go at their own paces as long as they're moving forward and they're they're reducing the impact they're having with their food choices. Uh, further to that, I think a big thing is your work. So whether you're at a company, you're in a corporate company or you're an entrepreneur, we need to be doing more and having more dialogue around sustainability at work. So whether that's, you know, having a single a, a ban on single use plastics mm. or having vegetarian catering or supporting your company somehow or doing a green group at work um, to start implementing more sustainability initiatives at work. I think that's a really important thing and can give you purpose again um, with what you're doing at work. So I think that's a really another big thing. And finally is really voting for people who can make a difference in power and supporting the youth movement that's happening around the world. I love it. Those are really, really good steps. I guess this is called the Awake Asia podcast. And you kind of answered that a little bit earlier, but I want to ask you this again. What does being awake mean to you? Yeah, for me, being awake is like being conscious. And that word for me means that you're understanding the choices you're making not only impact you, but they impact your surroundings, the people in your life, and also the planet. So to be more awake means to be have that deeper awareness that your decisions count and matter. Brilliant. If listeners want to connect with you, how can they uh, find out more about you? So you can go to greenisthenewblack.com. You can also find us on Instagram at greenisthenewblack.com. Uh, or if you want to connect with me, I'm Stephanie Dixon or uh, on Instagram, Steph L. Dixon for Lauren. Um, yeah, you can connect with me on any of the platforms. Well, Thank you very much, Stephanie. I'm extremely inspired. I'm definitely going to be looking into those man, the boy brands that you <laughs> suggested and definitely getting my, my wife, Emily, to check out those other brands that you recommended as well. I think for now, we're just going to sit here and just ponder at life looking at this view ahead of us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's today's episode. 
I hope you enjoyed my chat with Stephanie. All the information, brands, and resources she shared, and to find out how to connect with her, all are in the show notes at awakemethod.com slash podcast. If you learned something or maybe know of some brands for men you can recommend to me, do let me know. I would love it. I guess that's it for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and taking the first step to living a fit, healthy, and conscious lifestyle. Until the next one, live once, eat plants. Bye!
If you would like to connect with Vlad, he's on Instagram as Vlad Ixel, spelled V-L-A-D-I-X-E-L. And also through his page, VladIxel.com. Thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to this episode. But more importantly, take the first step to living a fitter, healthier, and more purpose-driven conscious lifestyle. If you'd like more information on what was shared on this episode, visit awakemethod.com slash podcast. Beyond that, if you think any of your friends or loved ones could benefit from listening to this, do share it with them. Until next time, live once, eat plants. See you on the next episode. Bye.